Hi, I'm Peter Mullen from Mullen Natural Health Centre. Have you ever thought about coming to see a naturopath but weren't sure if we could help? Why not try our free 15-minute phone consultations? Call 4961-4075 or go to mullenhealth.com.au for details. Good afternoon, Peter Mullen. Always great to have you here. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Dave. You've got a great topic today. We're talking about diabetes. Well, diabetes, so it's been termed the epidemic of the 21st century, you know, biggest um, health challenge confronting Australia, and um, been estimated that at least 280 yes. people uh, d- or develop diabetes every day. Let's, can we just for a moment reflect on the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes? What is the difference? Well, type... Type 1 is actually an autoimmune thing. So it used to be, you know, it used to occur in, it occurs more in kids. You know, it used to be generally under 20. Um, and it's where the immune system attacks the pancreas. The pancreas fails. And unfortunately, people with type 1 have to go on insulin basically for the rest of their lives. Type 2, but what's interesting is type 1 used to occur generally under 20. Now it's occurring up to 30, even mm. older. Type two used to be called uh, adult. Uh, used to be called age onset. Used to happen to people in their seventies and eighties. Now they've called it adult onset. Is it's it lifestyle inspired? Type Absolutely, two? and it's occurring at a younger and younger an age, and that's part of the problem. Type two diabetes now is being diagnosed in people as young as forty. So unfortunately, as the population gets crooker, we're seeing these conditions happening. Type one at later ages, and type two at earlier ages. Okay, now explore a little bit further for us some more details about it, especially type 2. Well, type 2, so type 2 um, basically occurs as a result of insulin resistance, which we've talked about a lot on this show before. And in simple terms, what happens is we think there's a family predisposition. Um, stress can play a component, things like leaky gut, inflammation in the body. Interestingly, and I'll talk about this a little bit later on, there's been links to your gut microbiome and the potential for developing insulin resistance and diabetes. So again, a lot of stuff comes back to the gut, but we'll get to that in a minute. Is there any health indicators that you that should be like flag warnings for you that, hang on, you better uh, check, absolutely. you may well have type 2 diabetes. What yeah. are some of those well, warnings? You know, up to, it's estimated up to 500,000 people in Australia at any one time may have type 2 diabetes and not actually know. So... um. You know, some of the real obvious um, signs and symptoms are things like um, fatigue, mm-hmm. which is, you know, pretty common. Um, thirst, where you just can't drink enough water. Um, signs of insulin resistance can also include, so we sort of look at people's body shape. So people that carry more body fat around their tummy, you know, that more apple type shape, yeah. they're at a higher risk of developing um, type 2 diabetes. And again, it relates back to, um, failure of the or progressive failure of the pancreas, but also what's called insulin resistance. So, insulin resistance happens where um, basically carbohydrates. You, you know what carbs are. Mm-hmm. So people think of carbs as you know bread, cereals, grains, sugar, biscuits, cakes, lollies, etc. Unfortunately, we eat way too many of these foods in our diet. Um, these foods break down in the bloodstream to glucose. Once the body registers that there's glucose in the bloodstream, the pancreas secretes insulin. The insulin comes out, takes hold of the glucose, and tries to convert it to energy by putting it into your muscle cells. And that all works well for years and years and years. But if someone's had too much carbohydrate and too much glucose in their system, pancreas starts to get a bit worn out. But also, too, the receptors on the cells that the insulin binds to start to fail. So this is called insulin resistance. So... What's happening now is it's taking more and more insulin to get the sugar into the cell. 
Um, and that's the early signs of, of um, pre-diabetes and diabetes. So it's symptoms like craving carbohydrates. You know, um, people that get that flat spot of an afternoon and, mm. you know, have to have a biscuit or a cake or, or lollies. Um, you know, increased thirst, as we said, getting up in the night to urinate a lot. Um, conditions like depression, anxiety, um, you know, have all been linked back to um, blood sugar disorders. Now, type 2 diabetes, what age can be involved with that? Well, as I was saying before, like it's, it's occurring in, it used to be called age onset, but now it's called adult onset because it's occurring in people as young as 40. Mm. So it's, it is, it's really is an epidemic and it's, it's kind of interesting because, you know, at the moment um, we talk about conspiracy theories, you know, a bit, but, and you know, like with the labeling with cigarette packets, you know, the government puts warnings on it. And one of the things that's been sort of voted around or, or put around is, you know, putting a tax on foods that contain sugar, you know, putting a tax on mm. soft drink, because it's this excess sugar consumption over a long-term period is what's causing this epidemic in diabetes. And we're having a look at some of the causes. What are some of the causes of type 2 diabetes, Peter? Well, as as we sort of talked about a little bit, so when so when we eat carbohydrates, and just before we go on, there's, there's three, and this is this is probably the key. You and I were talking in the break about um, type type two diabetes, and it is a reversible condition. Mm. And um, particularly, the earlier you pick it up, the more chance people have of getting off in, insulin and off medication, and actually not having diabetes anymore. So, diet and lifestyle plays a massive role. So. Just before we, we go on to the causes, there's three tiers or three layers of carbohydrates, as I like to think of them. So the top layer, and these are the carbs that we should all eat lots of every day. Like I'm a big fan of a, a plant-based diet. We should all eat lots and lots of plant-based matter in our diet on a daily basis. So the ideal carbs are your salads, your vegetables, and two to three pieces of fruit a day maximum if you're looking at blood sugar management. So keep in mind, lettuce is a carbohydrate. You know, when you eat lettuce, you'll get a very small amount of glucose delivered into your bloodstream that you can burn for fuel. Okay. So that top tier, you can eat as much of that as often as you like. The next layer down, and if you're trying to lose body fat or trying to manage your sugar, I always say you can have one one serve of one of these once a day maximum, Mm -hmm. and that's your bread, cereals, grains, rice, pasta, banana, and a white potato. So if you have a banana a day, that's really ideally you done for your starchy carbs if you're trying to get fat loss and or better weight management. But you can't have cereal for breakfast and a bit of toast and then, you know, some pasta with your rice and then a big dollop of white potato for dinner because, again, it's way too much carb if you're trying to reduce your carb input. And then once a week or never, my patients all think I'm a bit harsh, once a week or never is your biscuits, cakes, lollies, processed foods, additives, preservatives, and alcohol. Okay. Right. So that's, that's the good news right on lunchtime. Um, so some of the causes, so what happens, excess carbs can't be burned into, turned into, burnt for fuel, turned into bad fats, which over time damage your insulin receptors, results in elevated insulin. Um, excess insulin promotes inflammation in the liver, and actually any carbohydrate or glucose not burnt for fuel gets put into the liver as um, fat. So then you start to get this concept of fatty liver. Now, interestingly, so diabetes, insulin resistance, fatty liver is a marker often for poor carbohydrate metabolism. So when I first started in practice 25 years ago, the only people who had a fatty liver were those that drank too much alcohol. You had to have a pretty big problem with alcohol to have a fatty liver. Now, 
it's every, you know, it's one out of three to four patients I would see has been to the doctor, has had some elevated liver enzymes and on ultrasound they've had a um, fatty liver. So I think it, that's one of the early signs. <clears throat> um, other causes, you know, it does tend to run in families, you know, a bit as well. Now you have mentioned that the good news is if you have got type 2 diabetes with a change to your lifestyle and your diet, it can go away for you, which is great. What about if you've just found out that you have type 2 diabetes, which has been led up to maybe poor diet and poor lifestyle? Yeah. Can damage be done to your body? Can you do testing to find out? Well, one of the so so the the best way to help manage something like diabetes prevented is to get tested tested now. Um, when you see a GP, they'll they'll usually do your glucose. You need to also get your insulin tested. Insulin starts to show up as going higher much before long before you start to see your sugar levels creep up. So if you've got insulin resistance, you're headed down the path of diabetes. Okay. That's a lot better place to treat it. And we'll come back to damage in a minute. Um, the other test that I always recommend with, with my patients, and we often do this every time when they come, like at least once, um, is what's called a HbA1c. HbA1c is interesting. So insulin will tell you if you're headed towards diabetes, insulin resistance, elevated insulin. HbA1c, rather than just a one-off on the day of where your glucose is up to with a glucose test, HbA1c will look at your blood over a three-month period. So it'll tell you over that three months whether you've eaten excess excess carbs and how well your body's processed or cleared that that glucose from your system. Now, what people don't realize is why the maximum amount of glucose in our bloodstream at any one time shouldn't exceed one and a half teaspoons of sugar. Mm. That's over our our whole eight to nine liters of blood. So if someone has a can of a certain soft Soft drink, drink, it starts with C, ends with oak, um, that's like 12 or whatever teaspoons, teaspoons of sugar. Yeah. And you imagine a little kid having that. It's like this is why we're having difficulties with obesity and diabetes is all these products that are massively packed full of sugar. Now, sugar, glucose in the bloodstream is interesting. It should only stay in our blood for a short period of time. The longer it stays there, glucose actually sticks to things. One of the reasons why we age, it's called glycation. So glucose will actually stick to the arterial walls. In diabetics, what causes peripheral neuropathy or nerve damage in the periphery is because glucose is actually sticking to those nerve endings and killing them. Mm. So glucose, we don't want high levels of glucose in our blood. We want to get it from our food and we want to get it used for fuel as quick as possible. So um, the damage, so diabetics get damage to their peripheral nerves because the glucose levels are too high and it's causing damage. Um, the diabetics get um, diabetics get damage to the small blood vessels behind their eyes, and again, it's because glucose is sticking to those blood vessels and causing damage. So, we need to think as glucose and sugar as actually quite a toxic, um, unfriendly substance to have in our body. When we continue, what would you like to talk further about? We'll talk about what can be done about it from a preventative point of view, and there's um, also some really great information about gut flora that will go into as well that's coming up soon what about the farmers markets tell us about that uh this sunday if anyone's going to the farmers markets uh, three of our naturopaths will be doing um, free iridology assessments if anyone's not had that done before um, make sure you stick your head in and say hi and um, mention the radio program as well and david kate or lisa will have a look in your eyes and iridology is not a diagnosis but it's a great overview of you know, strengths and weaknesses in the body. So We're continuing to talk about our topic, which is diabetes, and especially type 2 diabetes, Peter. 
Type 2 diabetes, but I think um, a trip to Rio would be fantastic. <laughs> That'll relieve a lot of problems. <laughs> would definitely help um, from a stress point of view, I think. I'm, I'm a big fan of the more holidays, the better. Yeah. I think it does everybody in the world. If you can group. get them, take them. Yeah. If you can get them, take them. So that's a, that's an awesome prize, actually. Yeah. How long is the trip for? Uh, oh, yeah, you get a fair bit of time there, 20, 21 days. That's pretty oh, good. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you enjoy that. Yeah. Oh, that is fantastic. Well, I might um have to apply. I probably won't get it. We're probably not allowed to work apply, here. Yeah. Because you work yeah, here. Yeah, cancel you and me both out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the first step, step number one is I think everybody over the age of 50 should be tested for diabetes, pre-diabetes, or a potential towards developing diabetes. Because I think testing like that, you know, prevention is always better than cure. And um, I think, you know, at 50 is the time to really start to take these illnesses more serious. And if you don't already have some great place, great lifestyle things in place, now's the time to start. Um, so as I said, getting some blood tests done, but asking for insulin and also asking for HbA1c. Now, one of the interesting things, interesting stuff coming out, you know, we've been talking a lot about the microbiome and gut flora. Um, there's more gut gut bugs in our there's more bugs in our gut than there are cells in our body, and this new terms come out and it's looking at the metabolic activity of our microbiome. So, what they found is that certain subsets of people with diabetes actually have very similar gut flora, and you know we talked before about that that study that had a genetically obese mice and genetically skinny mm. mice, and when they fed the poo from the skinny mice to the obese mice, the obese mice became skinny and vice versa. So um, the more good um, bacteria you have, so it's all about the balance of um, good bacteria. Nearly all the patients that I see with insulin resistance also have leaky gut and you know microbiome um, problems. Right. So low microbiota diversity has been linked to metabolic syndrome. That's where you don't have enough different species. Um, there's a couple of studies where they they um, prescribed probiotics for four weeks and that actually increased your insulin sensitivity. And they've also looked at, so taking a probiotic can actually decrease your tendency towards developing insulin resistance. And what the interesting concept coming out that the, your balance of microbiota might actually influence your eating behavior, e.g. cravings. Okay. So if you've got the, this is a good one. If you If you've got the wrong type of bacteria in your gut, they can be contributing to why someone's craving more carbs and more sugars. Mm. So we've got someone else to blame. Like yes, it's not we'll just stress those. and comfort yeah. eating. It's, yeah. it's those bad bugs in our gut. Um, now, vitamin D, vitamin, low vitamin D and insulin resistance go hand in hand. So if you're low in vitamin D, and again, the only way to know if you're low in something is to get tested. Um, so vitamin D, uh, probiotics, we talked about. Um, lipoic acid. Lipoic acid is a intracellular antioxidant. Now, for anyone, any diabetic that has peripheral neuropathy, lipoic acid works like a dream in really helping to reduce that damage and turn off the inflammation in those peripheral nerves, um, which is great because it's a safe, natural substance. Um, probably some of my top favorites, my favorite herb for blood sugar imbalances of any type is um, a herb called gymnema yes. and um, helps your insulin to be more effective and may actually help repair damaged insulin-producing cells. And gymnema, you can get it in a tablet form or you can see your naturopath and get it made up into a herb mix, which is what I tend to like. Cinnamon. Now, interestingly with cinnamon, do you like cinnamon? Cinnamon's good. Okay, yeah, in small doses, yeah. It's a... Yeah, well, cinnamon at 4.8 grams a day, so that's a teaspoon and a bit, 
of cinnamon. And with cinnamon, you've got to be careful. There's certain types of cinnamon. The cooking type is not mm-hmm. what we're after. We're after the medicinal type of right, cinnamon. So right. you need, and and the name just escapes me at the moment. But I'll come. I'll let people know that next week. So a teaspoon of cinnamon a day um, was shown to improve the metabolic health in diabetics over a three-month period, improving insulin resistance and fat metabolism. And the for a couple more, um, chromium um, always really important for right. blood sugar management. Uh, mood insulin sorry improves mood reduces sugar cravings um, magnesium yes really important been shown to reduce um, fasting insulin uh, and the other thing that's really beneficial is um, fish oil right and a favorite for a lot of people out there is um, cocoa okay so co- cocoa polyphenols have been shown to really benefit now unfortunately eating a lot of chocolate for the cocoa benefit is probably going to be counterintuitive. Right. Obviously, because you've got a lot of sugar in the chocolate. But cocoa in you know certain products, um, organic raw cacao, um, things like that can really, that you know, they've been really shown to help um, manage blood sugar levels more naturally. Now, Dave, the great thing with a lot of these natural supplements is that even if somebody's already on insulin, Diabex, metformin, like any of these other drugs used to help treat insulin resistance or diabetes, these most of these or all of these natural supplements that I've talked about today can be used alongside. Now, dietary-wise is the other area, obviously, a low-carbohydrate, healthy protein, balanced diet. For severe cases, maybe even a ketogenic diet. Okay. And the secret weapon is exercise. Now, when you exercise, that's kind of like the for, for insulin to put glucose into the cell is quite a complex process, and if your receptors are starting to fail, even more so. Exercise opens the back door to the cell. So exercise takes the glucose straight from your blood, puts it into your cell. So exercise is really the secret weapon to long-term management. Okay, time's almost beaten this, but quickly you do have some details and a blog written up on uh, mullenhealth.com.au. Uh, we do, we do. We have the, all the, all the, everything pretty much I've talked about today on our blog, um, on our website, um, and people can follow us on Facebook at um, Mullen Health, or Mullen Natural, Center, Mullen Natural Health Centre on Facebook if they want to you know, join in the conversation and um, keep in the loop with what we're up to. And we will catch up with you again next Tuesday afternoon. Look forward to it then. It's Health and Wellbeing with Peter Mullen here at 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.